Now. Three, two, one, go! What's up? This is episode 47 of the Cool Down Time podcast. I'm your graphically impressive host, Marco, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-op co-host extraordinaire, Pablo, to talk about gaming's best and bootiest. Pablo, it's been a busy week for both of us, so I actually, you know, we always do like the, the fake how are you doing, even though we know how we're doing, but yeah. I genuinely don't know how you're doing, so how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing, man. I, a, lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff here upcoming, as you guys know, if you've been listening to the show, I'm having a baby in about... About four or five weeks here. Uh, Is it getting so to the? It's getting real in your brain mode now. Oh yeah, it's getting real now. I we got everything pretty much ready, but it's like the little things that are catching you off guard a little mm-hmm. bit. So I'm kind of like, so I really haven't been in in like the best uh, mindset for video games. Uh, just uh, dabbling here and there on some. I'm playing. I'm playing one game, and then still kind of messing with Elden Ring. Uh, which I generally can't put down. So That's I'm forcing right, myself. We'll, to we'll put skip down. talking about video games. We'll just talk about children. And having babies. Children. All yeah, we're so going to transition this entire podcast to just us <laughs> talking about babies. <laughs> the Cool Down Parenthood podcast is here. Um, no, I mean, I, I totally get it, dude. I've, I've been there How about before, you? How obviously. are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good, man. I had my pops in town. Um, you know, we, we hung out. I uh, did a lot of drugs, cocaine. Um, okay. No, nah, we didn't do none good of that. Father. We had a good time, though. Um, Son Pablo offline, like, my, my dad low-key, you know, still kind of games it up every now and again. So, you know, he's uh, a son Pablo, like, my dad was hardcore into Skyrim for about a solid three years, like yeah. on PC too. Like he was no joke. Oh, like he shit. was and mods and everything. So he like oh, you know damn. gave himself like the win mode, or one hit kills and all that. He was he was a beast out yeah. here. So and I was um, I was some Marco. I couldn't imagine my my parents playing the video game. My mom still calls everything Nintendo. Everything's yeah. My mom calls everything tapes still to this day. <laughs> tapes. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. And just so we're clear for the uh, Puerto Rican folks or Hispanic folks, yes, it's a Nintendo with an L, Nintendo. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, man. Well, in this episode, we will be covering uh, whether live service games are hurting the industry, uh, The Witcher 4's uh, surprise announcement, and much more. So uh, whether you're a new listener or a returning listener, thanks for checking us out this episode. Um, if you like what you hear, give our podcast a sub. We uh, post new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. And you can also follow us in between episodes on Instagram at CoolDownTimePodcast or Twitter at CoolDownTimePod if you want to stay connected with us in between episodes. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get this started with loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right, man. So we got a pretty interesting array of uh, stuff to talk about this week. Um, we got some games to talk about and a TV show. That's kind of the talk of the gaming industry. So, where do you want to start first? I'm really interested to see uh, what this Halo TV series is about because I, <laughs> I, I said I wasn't going to watch it, and I haven't watched it yet. But I kind of feel because yeah. of this podcast and just because a Halo fan, I do have to watch it. But yeah, Marco did watch it. it. Yeah. What do you got, man? I wasn't planning on watching it either, but you know, the the, the whole like three uh, or free 30 days of, of Paramount Plus, I uh, figured, okay, why not? Yeah, just yeah. go for it. Um, Plus, I so would give you my, my passcode if you needed it to, to check it out. <laughs> oh, you actually? I wasn't going to do it alone. Yeah, I got it. I was going to do it alone. Oh, okay. Well, look at you. 
Um, no, I gave it a try, man. I, I you know, it, there's been a lot of talk about this, uh, this, this show, and and obviously there's only one episode out so far, so asterisk of this is just first impressions and we have no idea how the show is going to pan out throughout the first season um so we'll see how it goes long term but um i I guess i'm i'm of two minds about this this show uh after watching the first episode i i i think thinking about this show holistically uh, as far as the halo franchise um it's a really weird time to be a halo fan I think just overall, between the state of Halo Infinite right now, 343's reputation kind of being a little rocky, and this step into the TV world with this um, this series that has obviously, for those of you who might not have been following, it, it's taken some heat, you know, for sure, because of how it's not, you know, canon, and it's sort of taking its liberties with uh, the lore and sort of repurposing it to create their own vision of Halo. Um, So it's a really bittersweet time to be a Halo fan, and I think that bittersweet feeling, for me, applies to the show. Um, I'll kind of just get the the obvious out of the way. I I think my reaction is pretty mixed. Um, On one hand, I totally understand, after watching the first episode, why they made certain changes to the lore because a lot of people have to understand that what what translates well for a video game narrative doesn't always translate well to a TV or film type of narrative, right? Absolutely. And it's yeah. I, I would even argue it's harder for a TV series because it's a lot of ground to cover, a lot of time, yeah. a lot of minutes to use up. Uh, and so you have to have more than just, you know, Spartans versus aliens, right? Like, so I think what they did well um, is they they're they're keeping the story pretty simple and easy to follow they're not they're not kind of getting into the trenches and so in a lot of ways it feels like a typical sci-fi series um which i think is going to be good for people who aren't familiar with halo um i like the fact that it's a pretty mature uh show especially with the gore it is a this is a gory show um a lot of dismemberment going on so i was kind of surprised that they went that far i mean the opening minutes of this are like pretty intense and it's like oh my god like people are out here losing limbs uh and it's pretty it's pretty gratuitous so uh, it was pretty surprising they they probably took a a, like a page out of the witcher's book a little bit yeah yeah it's it's we're not really going to water this down. We're going to yeah. really... Uh, so that's good to hear because I, I honestly have been pretty much... I, I've read some reviews and I read something that really turned me off and, I, and I'll talk about that here in a little yeah, bit, yeah. but I'll let you finish your thoughts. But yeah. um, it, I, for me, ultimately, what I was kind of... I, I, I was kind of afraid that it would be kind of watered down, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's not. It's actually pretty... pretty not really, no. Yeah, I was afraid it was going to be kind of Disney, Disney-fied a little bit in a weird yeah. way, even though you know Disney obviously has nothing to do with sure, it. Just sure. that, that, that feeling... Um, so I do appreciate that. I do like, uh, some of the casting. Uh, I think the casting is pretty good. Um, uh, Miranda Keys and, and her dad is, uh, really good picks. I think in my opinion, Halsey is, is a good choice too. I like her, her actor, um, her boss. I can't remember what her name is. It's a, it's an Indian woman, but she's a really good character, uh, or seems to be a really good character so far. Um, so I think the casting for the most part is pretty, pretty solid. Um, okay. Talk and, about the Halo, uh, Master Chief. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay that's okay. the big thing. That's the big thing. Uh, the last thing I'll say, um, is I think that they are kind of positioning the UNSC, um, in a unique way that I think will be good for the show. I think a lot of people are, are sort of weirded out about the fact that they're sort of vilifying the UNSC a little bit. 
Um, but I, I kind of like it because, again, if, if it was just humans versus aliens, that, that's a really binary formula for a sci-fi show. And so I think that what this is doing is it's infusing like a little bit more... Um, I don't want to say politics because it's not anywhere near like that at all, but it's it's giving a little bit more dimension to UNSC in terms of like how how fearsome they are, um, how how you know brutish they can be with um, you know especially when it comes to their conflicts with resistance uh, people out there scattered across the planet uh, or planets really, uh, and I like that because it's it's making them more interesting than I, I I would honestly say they are in the games in my opinion. It's something that that uh, that Halo podcast cast explored for halo 5 yeah 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 oni yeah Uh, oni was like yeah oni was they they, you know they pretty much were were showing the the backwaters and back channels of the unc how it works and they they were they they weren't particularly you know they didn't come out clean at the other yeah they're they're very cutthroat people uh to protect you know whatever they're trying to protect and so you know i I like that there's some there's some like moral dilemmas that some people within the unsc have to face and i won't spoil too much for people that haven't watched the first episode yet but you can tell that you know there's a crudeness to to unsc uh but there's people within unsc that you know although they feel very passionately against what unsc is doing orders or orders and they're kind of faced with that kind of um that kind of dichotomy i guess um now let's kind of rip the band-aid off and 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 i want to kind of actually lean into that term right there for a second because we got to talk about master chief right and that's that's the big that's the big jarring thing about this series right i think first and foremost it was the right call to to take the helmet off in the first episode if you're going to do it just get it over with you know rip the band-aid off Rather than build it up all season long, and then we get to see what he looks like, and it's like, ah, because the more more you build it up, the more you can disappoint people, you know. So get it over with. Show us what he looks like. Let's deal with it now instead of that looming over the whole season until the very end. Kind of like, you know, a lot of people talk about the Mandalorian when it comes to the Halo show in, in terms of how that was revealed after such a long time. And I, I don't think that formula would have worked for Halo. I think they just needed to get ahead of it and just show us what it, what it looked like early. Um, a lot of the arguments back in the day about making uh, a Halo TV series was how are we going to have a main protagonist if we don't show his face? And I think I think the Mandalorian showed that you can have a you really can. good actor behind that mask and it not need uh, a need to show his face. As a matter of fact, I'm, I I think when they showed Mandalorian's face, I think that they kind of fucked it up a little bit. I don't think they ever needed to show his face ever. I know who pa- Pedro right. Pascal is. I know how he looks like. Yep. I think he's great. I think he emotes incredible with his voice. And just kind of, I think that works really well. And I kind of wish that they did that with with this. But um, yeah, but I mean, it is yeah. what it is. When you think about like V for Vendetta, for instance, right? Yes, didn't need it. You, it still didn't felt like it. a character. It still felt emotive without even having the facial, you know, yeah. movement to kind of express the the, the dialogue. Didn't I need it. You, and I, I think it Hugo can be done. Was an incredible actor, right? To play that role. So exactly. That was... Well, yeah, of course, for sure. Yeah. So so here's the thing, Chief is. It is weird. It is weird. There's there's just no getting around it, even though I was prepared for it. It is a <laughs> it is a weird thing to hear a different voice. It is a weirder thing to have his helmet off and and to just see him talking. And it's weird because when he has his helmet on throughout the you know, the the first half of the episode. Um, the voice isn't so bad because you, you're not, it's not too 
it's not too much of an overkill with like, you know, just like shocking your system with new that's voice, right, new right. face. So you can kind of ease into it a little bit. But as soon as the mask, or the, not the mask, the helmet comes off, it is one of those moments like, oh, this is weird as hell, man. Because they, when they take it off, like you get the whole screen is homeboy's face. I, I can't remember the actor's name for the life of me. I always try uh, to remember. Pablo Schreiber. Yeah, there you go. Yep. And, and, and it's just straight up face on the screen. And you're like, ah, this is weird. And then when they pull back and you see him without his helmet, but the Master Chief out like, you know, armor like below his neck, it's like, what is going on? And it's then it's like having Geralt in Witcher without the gray hair. He, and it's like, yeah, he just, why? Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's very jarring. Um, and then when the mask, or I keep saying mask, when the helmet comes off, um, his dialogue kind of changes. His voice isn't so deep and in, in, in raspy anymore. It's almost like, like the helmet's off. Hi, everybody. It's me, Master Chief. <laughs> God, one, one, seven. <laughs> hey, I didn't know Mickey was out here taking on new roles in side gigs. That's crazy. Um, so, you know, look, I don't want to talk about this you know, too long here because I know a lot of people are going to watch it. But I will say... Um, the the not following the canon to a T is not the bad thing about the show. Right. It, it, the CG might not be the greatest. It's not the it's not going to be the hang up for you on the show. It is going to be um, chief. Can you yeah. can you stomach it or can you not? I've 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 heard he gets a little too unchief in the episodes to come from people who I have watched too. it. So yeah. I'm reserving judgment. So- but it's weird. It is weird. Marco, here's the, here's the thing. My hang-up before I even watch the show, and, I, and I'll admit that I come already with uh, preconceived notions into this, but my thing is when the... when when the And I mentioned this last episode, but when the uh, when the showrunner says that he didn't consult with the game, he didn't watch the game, he doesn't mm-hmm. know anything about the game, you wonder, then then why are you doing this? Okay, then... But why Master Chief? Like, why not make a Halo series? Like, Steve, yeah, Steven Spielberg was going to do something... with this and it was uh, apparently not have anything to do with master chief directly it was going to be a little bit like forward onto dawn where it was about the unsc and they'll have master chief come in but he wasn't the main protagonist if you're gonna if you're gonna change master chief so much to the point where he's unrecognizable then why even have him as your main protagonist because at that point the marketability of the halo character of master chief of the guy on the Mm. cover is pretty much thrown out the window halfway through the first episode so it's it's just a super weird choice to not only admit that you had nothing to do with the 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 game and 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 again i think if you i'm okay with going in a whole different direction you don't have to follow the game the covenant the flood you don't do any of that but to change a character so like to its core just rubs me the wrong way. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna probably yeah. after this uh, while I'm I'm editing the show here, I'll, I'll probably just go ahead and, and watch in the watch it and, and, and kind of yeah. get it over with. Also, yeah. rip the you shouldn't band-aid. skip it. You shouldn't <laughs> skip the first episode. Um, I would say uh, just expect one of those B tier sci fi TV series, which I'm okay, it, which I'm okay with. Yeah, you know, it's I, not trying to be. Yeah. It's not trying to be anything special. Uh, it, it wants to be, but it's not. It's just not. Um, it's not terrible. It's just it's just kind of mediocre um, as a mediocre sci-fi TV show. Um, so let with, me with some familiar characters. <laughs> let me ask you familiar. this, and this is kind of gonna. Um, I got two questions for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, uh, Cortana is she as bad as people were kind of like flipping out about? Um, not in the first episode. I mean, not at all. She's not in it. 
Okay, all right, cool. Second question. Is 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 this a show you're going to watch the second episode of? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um I just I will say it's partially because I stand to lose nothing with this trial that I'm on for 30 days. So why not at this point? Um, when it when my trial runs out, then I'll have a decision to make. But while I have it, I will probably you know why not check it out? So yeah. I believe new episodes drop Thursdays, if I'm not mistaken. So okay. yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be back for it. I mean, again, I've heard the second episode is really the sink or swim moment for a lot of people watching and, and kind of wanting a familiar chief type of experience, and they're not going to get it with this second episode but i don't know what that means i'm just uh, um I'll, well, I'll 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 tag in to see what's up but i'm you know, i'm keeping my expectations extremely low but uh well i'll, you know. I'll be uh i'll go back on uh, on my word saying i'll never watch this show and i'll <laughs> go ahead and watch it yeah you might as well but uh yeah again weird time for be uh for being a halo fan no question yeah man we, we, we need to talk about uh, Halo, I think, in a, in a future episode. We do. I have do. so many mixed feelings about Halo. Like, it's, it's it's a game that I love so much, and yet I've not touched the multiplayer in so long. And I keep telling myself it's because I'm waiting for season two, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, it's so weird. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah, they're fumbling the bag. Uh, the only thing I, um, uh, on the gaming side that I've been doing uh, real quick is uh, I, I decided on a whim to go ahead and get the PS5 version of GTA V uh, just, you know, because it's it's so cheap uh, in this uh, introductory $10. price. Um, man, I think, uh, you know, I won't dwell on it too much. I, I think this is a really good um, next-gen upgrade, actually. I think they did a good job uh, with this one, and I was worried because of what happened with the PS2 trilogy um, last year. But came out really good. HDR is beautiful. Textures look really nice. I mean, it's not it's not you know a, a dramatic difference, but it is a nice difference. Um, the performance mode is great. Um, it looks really good um, as far as just man. Th- this this game holds up well. I think it is in that Skyrim category of you know I, I hate that it keeps coming out everywhere, but it's kind of earning it because it's still it's still kind of the best city-based open world I've ever played in my life. So, and, and, and you me, can you can still feel it even after coming back to this game after all these years. So, I it's funny because I, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about the upgrade version of this, yet nobody's been ever to put, nobody's been ever to put into words what exactly is wrong with, with the upgrade. I don't know what they're... I, what exactly I, are people f- uh, flipping out about? Because I, 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 I don't I've know. I've seen some memes about the fire not being great, but it's like so small and minuscule in, in terms of what they're being critical of, where I'm like, is that really what we're like... I, I think just, it's like, just salt from... Comparing frames? I think fire. it's salt from, from what happened last year. I really do. I think people are coming into this skeptical now, and they're going to split hairs any way they can. Look, this is... I am all about, you know saying hey yo this this uh, next gen version kind of wasn't yeah. very next genny this one's all right this this one's all right it's not transformative in in any way shape or form it's still a product of its time but it looks good it, it it's 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 very easy on the eyes to me um and I think it, it actually plays a little bit better because there's less input lag from being able to run at 60 frames per second. Uh, yeah. There's And there's ray trace sh- shadows too, which are really nice looking. No ding on performance at all. It's, it still stays at 60 frames. It's good. It's very good. So I recommend it. If you liked GTA V, you want to kind of have it you know, in the tuck if you ever want to come back to it. Or if you're obviously an online uh, GTA player, I see I, no reason why you should skip this. I think the only thing that kind of sucks is the fact that 
you know, we have to pay for this upgrade or uh, at least Xbox people have to pay $20 for it. But yeah, yeah, it's whatever, a little, yeah, that, that's kind of lousy for Xbox side, but it's still, you know, it's still a decent price for, for you know, yeah. what, what it is. Um, that's all I have going on, man. So I have talked enough. Let me go ahead and kick it over to you. Uh, you are playing a game that you've had your eye on for a while and uh, you played the demo of uh, a few episodes yeah. ago. So uh, talk to me about what you got going on. Yeah, Kirby in the Forgotten Lands is, hey. is, is what I'm playing. Really, really weird yet um, interesting pairing with Elden Ring. You know, Elden Ring is can can be very difficult, obviously, to Souls game, and Kirby mm-hmm. is the opposite of that. So, you know, I when I played the demo, I was kind of like I was pretty. I pretty much got what I th- what I thought this game was going to be, and and that not much has changed. W- one thing that I will say that I think that a lot of people were kind of curious about is that it's not an open world game. Uh, it's not like an open area. It, it's very much traditional hub world. You go from levels to levels to levels to levels, and I think that works. Um, it works in its favor. Mm. Um, each level has its own unique design. Obviously, it's very reminiscent of a uh, a a Super Mario World. Uh, it's a three D platformer, but has mm-hmm. that kind of that two D hub world. Um, the mouthful mode. Uh, is I would say it's equivalent. That's the thing that's kind of like the big, uh, the big change here for this Kirby game. I think it's the equivalent to Cappy from uh, from Mario Odyssey, right? Where it it kind of takes it circumvents like the 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 three D traditional puzzle platforming by adding like an additional interaction with a big object that you know normally wouldn't be something you you interact with. And I think it's really interesting and the way they use it. It's not just a few things that they showed in the in the trailer. It's a lot of different things, you know. Uh and and you can use those to your advantage to to kind of go into secret areas and kind of unlock um uh kind of secrets within those levels. Um in terms of difficulty, this game is super fucking easy, but it's not easy like just hit right and go from a to to b without any issues like you do okay there's a hard mode that that kind of is is almost it's almost like uh told to you by default this is the way it's meant to be played is that is the, uh is that what you're what you've chosen yeah oh absolutely yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Good. i mean listen there's a, like a baby ass one i guess and now i couldn't even <laughs> fathom that the game the game does get a little difficult but it doesn't get it, it's difficulty is more about they gives once you, once you start a level, it gives you about these uh, these kind of objectives to do, and the difficulty is finding the secrets to get into those areas to then uh, free the Waddle Dees, which is the thing that has been captured uh, in this game. Okay, Though it, it's a super weird kind of like level design where it's this cute little furball, oh not furball, but this cute Furby gummy bullshit Furby. Uh, Whatever Kirby fucking is, uh, no one knows. You got knows, that, <laughs> and then you got this post-apocalyptic kind of setting, which is very much that, and it's super weird, and and it and it, and it almost doesn't make sense, but I I do like that. It's it's there's like a dark undertones to this what, game for uh, sure. What is the post-apocalypse? I don't know. It's just like abandoned oh, they, malls. Oh, they it's, don't explain a, it at all. They just no, no. But basically, Kirby is just flying through the air, and then some shit happens, and he crash lands into this thing. He wakes up in the sand, and then you just oh. walk through this little kind of uh, forest, and then it opens up, and you're like, "Oh, you're in this world, yeah, and it's... all the Waddle Dees have been captured, and you and you're there to to free the Waddle Dees because you got sucked into this kind of vortex." Gotcha. It um, sounds like Nintendo. <laughs> I, I think what they're trying to do here is 
it's kind of been like, oh, Kirby was in his world and he got sucked into the re- real world and the real world is all jacked up. Mm. It's super weird because you have cars and, and shit like that. Um, I-, I think ultimately for me, uh, levels do tend to get a little harder as they go on, uh, but it's never a challenge where it's insurmountable. Uh, but there are certain things that I-, I-, I kind of have been like, hmm, I wonder if I do this. And it- and, it- and the game design is such that those things do... Uh, uh, do make sense like for example there, there's this thing where you can light up and it it's like a it's like a dynamite stick thing where the it, it, it goes the fire goes through it and then it goes to this cannon and it shoots you up like mm-hmm. there's a very short uh it's a short time for me to get from that point to the to the cannon but they as time goes on it's a really long string that you catch at the beginning of the level that you can actually ignite and then go all the way to the end to catch that a rocket before it, it um it blasts off or whatever or not rocket but this little like cannon so little things like that that you are, that are optional that you can do that are that bring an extra level of challenge that i think really 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 work i, I think uh, what i said about the demo is that it never reached the heights of odyssey uh but i think that this is exactly that i don't think this game is close to what odyssey did for mario but it is definitely probably the best Kirby game I've ever played. And ultimately mm, for me, okay. it's just a really good and decent experience. Nothing special about the combat, nothing special about the platforming, nothing special about pretty much anything. Even the game level design, while it's nice and cute, it's not nothing special. But it's all done really well. Um, kind of like Jack of All Trades, Master of None type of thing. Um, okay. it's, 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 it's still fun to play, uh, and I'm yeah. having a good time playing. Yeah, there's uh, a lane for that it, kind so. of game out there. So is, it, is it kind of a comfort food game? for you in a sense for me it is i i you know i i don't know if it's more because of just the the disney nintendo the, the not disney but the nintendo affinity that i have with the whole kind of like sure magical kind of era whimsical of stuff nintendo yeah, yeah. Does, yeah or if it's just because it's so different from elden ring which is kind of engulfed my life uh to a uh, point where it's so different it's so relaxing. nice contrast it's yeah. a nice contrast it really is it okay. really it's kind of just like a really it's a game that I play, and I'm just sitting here like a moron, smiling because oh, all the little cute things, hey, and, man, it, and it looks really good. To, that's, for, that's part for of what the appeal, is. man. You gotta, hey, yeah, that's, that's one of the many reasons why you play games. So exactly, yeah, I can't knock that. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess uh, only question I had is like, you, you kind of answered a lot of them organically as you were talking. But uh, how far are you, and how long ish is this game from what you're kind of so, estimating? I think I, I've read that it could be it's anywhere between. Uh, Depending what you do, if you try to collect everything, I think uh, up to like ten hours or eleven hours, something like that. Oh, okay, okay. It's not really; it doesn't demand a lot. I there's different worlds there. I am, I think if I had to estimate, I'm about halfway done with the game. Mm. Uh, in terms of uh, going, and it's really easy. Like you could probably sit down and go through a whole world in in in, in like an hour and a half or two hours if you're really collecting everything. But I am, I am going through everything and I am collecting. Uh, Every Waddle D, there is a there is kind of like a, a town builder thing. The more Waddle Dees you can uh, you collect, uh, the more they go into that town, and you can go visit that town and and you see certain things. Like there's certain things where they're like there's, there's like a little restaurant and there's tables outside and there's nothing there. And the more Waddle Dees you collect, all of a sudden there's Waddle Dees sitting down like having a cup of coffee, like little shit like that. That's actually kind of interesting. And there's these little kind of things that off to the side that are like challenges that I that I've been kind of messing around with. Those are pretty difficult in terms of like what they want you to do gotcha. and. and time frame they want you to do it so there's there's a lot there for for everybody i'm really not focusing on the hard shit that they have on it when i say quote unquote hard shit i'm just trying to get to that story and, and, and enjoy my time with with, uh, okay. with kirby uh one last thing i need you to say waddle d one more time for the culture 
Waddle D, baby. There you go. All right. <laughs> Waddle D, baby. All right now. Let's uh let's waddle on over to the next uh segment Bye. of the show, which is our new segment called Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for hit points. All right. So this turned out to be a pretty uh pretty exciting week in news. Uh Kind of a lot of stuff tailored uh, to, to stuff that we like, actually. And we're going to start off big here. Um, CD Projekt Red has officially confirmed that a new installment in the Witcher series is on the way. Described as the start of a new saga for the franchise, CD Projekt Red confirmed that the new game will be developed in Unreal Engine 5 as part of a multi-year partnership with Epic Games. Other than the new Lynx school teased in the reveal image, further details regarding the game, such as its official name and release date, are not available. Um, Pablo, what are our biggest hopes or concerns about this fresh new start for The Witcher and CD Projekt Red? I don't really have a lot of concerns. Um, I, I think a lot of CD Projekt Red... Uh, I think a lot of his reputation has been marred by by kind of the backlash of Cyberpunk 2077. But you know, I I personally uh, come away from that where I, I think that's it's, it's not all bullshit, but it's definitely been exaggerated and stretched out to a point where it's it almost seems like CD Projekt Red is not going to be able to really do anything ever again without that criticism on their back. So th- that aside, I I'm not really worried. I, I think that you know uh, every Witcher game has incrementally gotten better and a lot better. Like Witcher one to Witcher two is is, is day and night, and Witcher two to Witcher three is absolutely day and night. So, day my, and my night. only sorry, I had to. I'm sorry, <laughs> I really didn't I, want to. But I think my only thing with with the game, and this is just a personal thing, I I love Geralt so much, and I just kind of you know, I with the history of Witchers and how they can live for hundreds and hundreds of years, I I, I would it would be kind of weird to play a Witcher game. Uh, without uh, a Geralt uh, in it, and, and I think if you played anybody who played Witcher Three, you do get to play as Siri uh, to, in a much lesser degree, obviously, kind of in, in these flashbacks. Um, which I think, you know, I think that kind of opened up a really interesting uh, dynamic. I, I, I think you can have two main characters in a game like this, or it can be like Dishonored, where you pick Geralt or Siri. You know, I don't know how how much they'll they'll, they'll do in terms of the in depth of each. Mm-hmm. If, if they were to do that, like how in depth can you go with each of those characters? But I don't know. I I, I there were, it would be it would be weird for me to play a Witcher game with a new character or a Witcher game with just Siri. Um, though I'm not really gonna sit here and say that. I, I don't trust them to write the best story for what Witcher 4 is. Exactly. You know, it, if it's a new Witcher and Geralt was going to play the Vesemir role, I, I think that's okay as well. As, as long as Geralt is present, and even if it's not, it would have to be a complete and utter disaster for me to, to, to really uh, be disappointed with the game. The only thing that this game has to do, which is not easy, is outdo Witcher 3, which is one of the best games <laughs> ever made. So, yeah. you know, no pressure, gonna, CD Projekt Red. That's going to take time to kind of meet, meet yeah. that goal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think um, there, there's a few things you can glean from this. Um, and I think the thing that we could start with is the Link School. Um, the, yeah. the, the medallion on the teaser image uh, is of a school that, from what I understand, is not a part of any novels. So No, it's a brand new thing. It's a brand new school. Um, that that um, you know, CD Projekt Red is creating for this story. So that can tell you 
without specifics, it can tell you that they're kind of going their own way here. And I think that is potentially a good thing um, because then they can sort of steer the narrative in ways that they want to and not necessarily be so beholden to um, the source material. Not to say they've ever, you know, stuck to those things like Lou. They have taken liberties in the past, um, but they have now um, a, a much longer leash to kind of do what they want. And I'm really excited about that because to your earlier point, you know, people can say a lot about cyberpunk and, you know, oh, this was buggy and even Witcher 3 came out buggy, but here's something that was never buggy in any other games. The story. Yeah. <laughs> right? exactly. No bugs, no crashes on the story side. So um, they, they've always been great storytellers. And I think for that, I have placed um, and continue to place trust in them from a storytelling standpoint. Now, having said that, you can't talk about a story without talking about Geralt and Ciri and, and how that could play into what this new saga, uh, air quotes, uh, has in store for us. And I, I'll say this. Um, there's nothing that indicates that Geralt is not going to be a part of this new saga. Um, they have not mentioned anything about that. I think a lot of people are basing some of those concerns off of how The Witcher 3 ends, which is basically, you know, he lives to see another day, Siri, him are reunited, kind of a happily, a happily ever after-ish, uh, you know, type of ending with Siri sort of becoming, uh, or, you know, becoming more of a warrior of her own or like a weird hybrid Witcher and, and Elder Blood sort of thing that she's got going on. Um, I think you can guarantee that with it, Geralt's going to be a part of this game in some meaningful or large capacity. Um, my prediction is, uh, ironically enough, something sort of like GTA V, where you can kind of swap between both characters and maybe do some missions together where one person's sort of sneaking in, another person's maybe keeping watch from another area, and they're kind of maybe collabing together. Um, I would love to see something like that with maybe some online co-op possibilities as well to kind of evolve the gameplay formula forward a little bit. Um, yeah. What I think... Um, Beyond that, though, is I think people have to understand that Siri is just as integral to the Witcher storyline as Geralt is. So if it is more um, dependent on Siri or more centered around Siri, I, I hope people are going to be receptive to that because Siri yeah. is just as big to the Witcher as Geralt is. Um, if you know the novels um, are, are relatively somewhat balanced in, in kind of that relationship and Geralt on his own and Siri on her own, and they converge and, diver and divert from each other a lot uh, in, in the story of The Witcher. So I think you can probably expect some type of play on that. Where the Link School comes in, I have no idea. So I'm really curious about that. Well, there was... Um, I, I know I read something about in the novel, um, it, the, the the last novel that came out, there was... Siri goes out and finds three medallions and puts one on and gives it to Geralt and mm. asks Geralt if he knows what it is. And he goes, I've seen this still before, but they never explicitly said what it is. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it looks like it's taking it from there. You know, like the, the game is 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 kind of taking its cue from the last novel where it's expanding on something that's not yet exists or written yet. So I, I, I honestly, I think it would be crazy to have a Witcher game without any Geralt, even if it's just in the background, just because I think, it's so... I think there's a 0% chance of that happening. 
Yeah, it's just so ingrained into what the, what the game is. And, and listen, mm-hmm. let, let, let's be real here. Uh, CD Projekt Red is a company that likes to make money, and The Witcher, every time new season of Witcher comes out, it becomes the most watched show on Netflix. And, and, and that's in due in part, you know, largely part by the uh, by the fact that people love Geralt. And, um, yeah. and, and I think I think Siri is, in my opinion, for me as a Witcher fan, is as beloved as Geralt. I think the Siri from the video game specifically, and the Yennefer, and, and all those, yeah. I think they're, they're iconic characters. Great characters. I think that... Yeah. yeah, you know, and then spoiler alert here for for Witcher three, uh, seeing the demise of Vesemir was in, was impactful for mm-hmm. me, and you know to to have this father figure, and and I'm not saying they're gonna kill Geralt off, but they could, and Dad would be terrifying. You know, see, that, there's I don't that think thing anything always, like that's gonna happen at all. I'd no, really me neither. Don't. Me neither. But 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 it's always there, and I'll compare that to kind of uh, the Gear series where. You know, Marcus dying is 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 always looming over you just because you think that's gonna happen, yeah. um, and actually it it could go the other way in that game. But it, it's no, but I'm it's, just saying it's it gonna gives be a lot of though, yeah, yeah. It gives you a lot there to, to kind of uh, explore in terms of what the story is, right? Um, so no, yeah, I, I, I I'm super excited for this. Come yeah. on, how could you not be? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think just you know for my hopes and concerns, real fast, I kind of touched on the hope earlier. I would like to see kind of an evolution in the gameplay uh, between Siri and, and and Geralt if they are kind of at the heart of the actual gameplay portion of the game uh, with with potential online co-op possibilities, uh, drop in, drop out kind of thing would be kind of nice. Uh, Concerns, I think mine are more around like the fans of The Witcher or the the paranoid fans of The Witcher now because of what happened with Cyberpunk, kind of holding this game hostage to 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 make the game the way they want it made and not really trust the storytelling capabilities of CD Projekt Red because let's say worst case case scenario they want to move away from Geralt and they and they want to do that but now. They're gonna get backlash about that, and now it's backlash about the art, you know, the artistic direction, story, to, uh, story direction, and now they're kind of stuck playing the game of sort of pacifying the fan base because they're too afraid to go where they want to go with the story. You know what I mean? Like, I don't uh, want them yeah. to be afraid to take a chance just because they don't want to have backlash happen again. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think, and I think they've learned their lessons where they need to learn their lessons. They've already promised that there was going to be no crunch to make this game, which is, that's super, that's really good to, yeah. to hear in, in that sense. I think the, I think if, if uh, hopefully CD Projekt Red, what they take are the, are the lessons that need to be taken and not really try to overcompensate and, and try to give, and try to give us the game that they think we want. If the best game in terms of the story comes from a whole new Witcher or Siri, then do that. Don't, don't give us a Geralt, it's uh, a Geralt centric game that's not going to be as good just because you want everybody wants Geralt, you know? That's right. that it's stupid. I, I you know, they have to they have to write the story that they want to write and and I and I'm very confident like you said. Everything could be broken in those games. Even Witcher 3 came out broken, but that story was not broken Mm-mm. in the slightest. Yeah. Beautiful. Let Still me ask you up. a question before we move on here. If you remember, what's the what's the what's your canon ending? Like what's the the the, sto- the ending you got and what's the one cuz I know you played it a few times. Uh, what's the one that you got that you liked? Um, it was me and Triss, um, happily ever after. Um, and I, I, I don't remember too much else about it, but it was like, it was one of the good, like it was, it was a good ending. It was like a positive yep. Geralt settles down farmer life kind of thing. Do you remember if your, if your Siri became a witcher or not? Y- yeah. Well, I don't know if, I don't remember if it was ever specifically stated that she was becoming a witcher, but 
um it's heavily hinted at it's hint yeah but yeah uh yeah, went and got like, her the sword and all that and yeah yeah i got a the first one i got my canon one the one that got the first one was forever alone because i try to fuck <laughs> everybody uh but then the one that i that i uh that i that i hold canon is the one me and yennefer and uh siri uh mm-hmm. becoming a witcher i got a question uh, apparently for you. there's a there's a bad one that it ends with Geralt being surrounded by a whole bunch of monsters and implying that he gets killed. I've never even... I don't I've know that, Geralt. That yeah. ain't mine. Um, that I got a question Geralt. for you, though. Let me, let me get a little prediction here. This is going to be a tough one. Which game's going to come out first? The Witcher 4 or the next Elder Scrolls? Same year. Nah, you got it. Which one comes out first? I, I, I'm, I, I'm going to go Witcher 4. Okay. Um... Because um, they've canceled the the online um, the online component of Cyberpunk to, to work on this, and apparently they've been tooling away at this for a while. And mm-hmm. everything that I've that 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 Howard has said is that they haven't even really started production production on on Witcher. Uh, I Wait. mean, on uh, Elden oh. Elden Scrolls. Uh, you you're I, mixing I, up all your games. Elden Scrolls. <laughs> I just said Elden Scrolls. Yeah, Elder Scrolls. Uh, oh, man. But um, yeah, I, I would okay. say Witcher. Which I th- I honestly think it'll be the same year. But if I had to pick one, I I, I would put my money on Witcher Four. Okay. How about you? I'm going Elder Scrolls. Actually, I think I think I think they're gonna they're gonna pump a lot of resources into that. Microsoft's gonna want to make that a marquee game sooner than later. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say they're gonna put pressure on Bethesda because of autonomy and all that. Like they like, they like, yeah. like to do that, but I think they would love to have that out within the next two or three years. I think it, that'll depend on the success for me of uh, Starfield. If Starfield is a hey, massive yeah. success, that's a good, yeah, then, that's a good point. Then they're probably like, okay, we can probably take our foot off the pedal yeah. a little bit and, and really give them the next. But if if Starfield is a flop, that you're right, they're gonna want that next Elder Scrolls immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. All right, cool, man. Let's go ahead and move on to the second uh, item on our hit points. This is another one that's pretty fascinating for us as Mass Effect fans. But nevertheless, former Mass Effect director Casey Hudson has confirmed that his new development team, Humanoid Studios, is working on a AAA multi-platform game set in an all-new sci-fi universe. Humanoid Studios' official website also features four new pieces of concept art to demonstrate the artistic direction of their upcoming but unnamed debut title. As longtime Mass Effect fans, Pablo, how do we feel about this? And more importantly, what does Casey Hudson need to do to avoid the problems that ensued during his time at BioWare? Stay. Mm. fucking stay this man can't stay in any goddamn job he's like a teenager going from <laughs> job to job because he, he called out because his left toe hurts listen i it's <laughs> this guy's responsible for our, our, me and marco's favorite western rpg this man is 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 for, as far as i'm concerned is a genius when it comes to that stuff but I, I think he's one of these guys that get really sensitive about his vision and uncompr- uncompromising in every way possible. And he just leaves projects and, and, and just never really, nothing ever comes into fruition, not ever since the Mass Effect series. So I, I have no thoughts about this game in like no hopes I, I, I because I really, he's just been everywhere. I mean, I, he's just, just doesn't stay with the, with the studio doesn't mm. com- see anything to completion and I, and I hope that this is this is this is the one I mean I, I would love to see uh, another Hudson pro- uh, Hudson project I mean come on this guy is, is great at what he does I just, just want him to, to actually do something rather than 
then just leave it halfway and get out of there, you know? Okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I think that Casey Hudson has a chip on his shoulder. And I think this this yeah. making a sci-fi game is no coincidence. I think he is setting Absolutely out not. to kind of make his dream sci-fi game to um, maybe, you know, answer back at critics uh, who have kind of gotten on him about, you know, the anthems of the world and kind of how Mass Effect panned out in the end. And I, I think I think he's got something to say. And without having EA sort of looming over him, I think this is an opportunity for him to say, you know what? I'm going to try to make me a Mass Effect killer. And, and maybe that's never going to come out as being like what we hear is the goal internally over there. But I think in his brain, just kind of always the vibe I got from him is, I'm better than everybody sitting next to me, man. <laughs> and I, and I yeah. want to prove it. And, and I think this is going to be a game where um, I don't think we're going to see this for a while. I think he's going to take his time. I think this is going to be a, a real um, labor of love where it almost in a Levine-like kind of way, where he's going to want to get it right, and we might not hear about this game for a while. But um, I feel like he is going to try to go for the proverbial throat of EA and kind of the remnants of Mass Effect and say, in so many words, uh, you're nothing without me, and I'm going to prove that with this upcoming game set in a sci-fi universe. <laughs> so um, yeah. I'm excited about it just from that standpoint because I want to see if if that ego kind of feeds this this game with the right stuff to make it great. Yeah, I mean, look, he Hudson left Bioware to go to work for Microsoft. Microsoft said there were he was working there in a special capacity as some kind of game director or mechanical director. And then he goes back to, to uh, Bioware uh, and then he works on fucking anthem which jesus christ i don't even that game is so bad and then you know he leaves again obviously after the failure of that i you're right he has a big chip on a soldier because he did mass effect one two three and then anthem and hasn't really done anything since then yeah. uh so he, he he i think he wants to prove that he still got it and i hope he, he i hope he gets the chance to do that because i would love to see uh, a casey hudson game at his like full bore like red like just this is sure. you know, this is my Mass Effect killer of my own kind yeah. of, you know, doing so. I'm not gonna root against him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For sure. That for sure not. Alright. Cool. Let's go ahead and move on to our third hit point item. Tango Gameworks. Ghostwire Tokyo. It's out. It's out on PS5, PC, and has received predominantly lukewarm to mixed reviews. Currently at a seventy-six on open critic, Ghostwire Tokyo's empty Yet icon-heavy open world, repetitive combat, bland story, control issues, and performance woes appear to be the common threads in many reviews. While no one has described this game as an outright bad game, Pablo, how do we feel about this perceived end result from what we're seeing in these reviews or hearing about? And what do we think may have went sideways here with this game? Yeah, I think what went sideways is public... uh perception or expectation of uh, of what this game could be I, I think when i look at what what tango gameworks has done in terms of like what their average open critic is i think they're i think evil with evil within was at 73 and evil within 2 was at a much better 80 this obviously falling right between those two games i i'm not I'm not really surprised. I mean, I think they're working at their capacity. They're right between what these games are. I think that they're a studio that has a lot of these crazy fucking ideas and 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 try to do a lot with that. And I think this is just kind of one of those games that works for some people, for others it doesn't. 
I, I'm not too sure that I expected anything more than this, especially after I saw kind of like the reveal uh, uh, trailer of it. I thought it was interesting. I, I I would have been completely shocked if this reviewed really, really well. Um, I, 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 I thought maybe it would be in the 80s, uh, but ultimately... Well, you you uh, predicted just, a seventy six, and you got seventy six. So you were definitely right oh, on how how oh, the, did I do? Okay, yeah, yeah, you that's got it right. right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it, it just it, it, for me, it always kind of felt like it was going to be that kind of game. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it just it, nothing about what Ghost uh, what um what Tango GameWorks has done has ever really interested me in any really like in any like really like great way like i played evil within 2 and i thought it was like a gem like it, it was almost like one of those games that people don't give uh don't give a lot i think people should definitely try it i think it's really interesting kind of take on the resident evil kind of formula and silent hill kind of formula as well but ultimately for me uh, this game just came out of really left field like even when it was announced even the little clips that they showed just really didn't seem like it was all there so mm-hmm. um yeah that that's kind of where i'm at i i i own it um I shared a account with my brother, and he he we own it. And I uh, let's see let's see if I if I get to it. Uh, mm. But again, it, it's not a game that I'm like clamoring to, to go play. You yeah, know? you don't roll out of bed for this one. I don't think no. <laughs> based on what we've read or or watched from reviews. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, I think what what sideways here is it's another weird identity crisis for another Bethesda game. I think Deathloop had this problem. Um, you know, hence the the. Two million trailers of trying to explain what that game actually was before it came out, um, and I think this game ran into some pretty similar problems. And in, in, a, in a sense of, first and foremost, we heard a lot of stuff about you know um, you know some turnover with some key um, key members of the team, um, and you know usually with that kind of turnover, uh, much as what we've learned about the Perfect Dark drama uh, with the reboot is. When there's turnover like that, that usually means that the direction of the game turns over as well. And I think that it kind of shows from what I'm seeing and hearing about with with this game in particular, because it feels like it was, and I think we heard about this, it was supposed to be more of a horror type of experience, and it sort of turned into a bit more of an action-focused experience with more supernatural elements sort of peppered in in there. Um, And when that game first got announced... It it definitely felt like it was even more of a horror yeah. kind of bent to it, like and fear, it, like like the game Fear from back right. in the day. And when you look, oh, I, I like those games. Uh, but when you look at back at um, what they've done with Evil Within, those are straight up like horror games. Yeah. So. Yeah, they, they kind of got away from their own identity here too. Yeah, and I would say the other problem is um, they revealed the game too late. I mean. You know, it was a few yeah. weeks ago when we finally saw what the hell this game was actually about on a gameplay level, and, and and that at that stage of the game, it was like, all right, well, now I don't even know if I care because Elden Ring is is here. Horizon the Shadow of Elden Ring is so crazy. It's man. yeah, it's 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 a lot, and um, I, I'm but I'm not gonna give this game that that pre- the pass though, and I'm I'm not saying you are. No, either. no, no, I'm no, saying no, no. you know. Oh, because Elden Ring came out. Now every other open world game is going to get undermined. Like, I Absolutely I not. think a lot of people are going to give that excuse. I feel like that's going to be what people talk about in like shareholder meetings. Well, you know, guys, Elden Ring, uh, we weren't expecting. You know, I know, I know that's going to happen in those conversations uh, as a as a business. But, but then, so it's like, oh, so what you're telling me is that you were unable to make a good game because the other company made a better <laughs> game? Like, what the fuck are you talking? <laughs> yeah, about? Yeah, dude. Like you see that with like with EA and Battlefield. Like they blamed a bunch of they blamed Halo, Halo. for existing. Like, well, there's a Halo franchise. <laughs> yeah, the one's been around like, for twenty oh. years, dude. And also the one that's not. Ex- 
exactly like doing well. <laughs> yeah. Either. So I mean, you know, uh, I'm not gonna, you know, beat the game down or anything. I think it, it's okay for the game to be mediocre. There's, there's, it's, it's fine. Um, I just, I'm it's disappointed because it's a new IP that could have been special. Um, that's just gonna kind of be one of those, hey, maybe wait for it to come out on Xbox and drop on Game Pass kind of experiences now. And I think that's disappointing, but also good because I don't have to spend money on the game. Can I? And can I say? And I know that Deathloop has gotten a lot of praise. People really love it. I there's a part of me that Microsoft sold those two games and be like, ah, you guys can keep it. Yeah, because uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, depending on how you look at it, I mean, critically, Deathloop was obviously you know a pretty big deal yeah, last but, year. But I, I I guess what I'm saying is I wonder what it would cost them uh, contractually to pull oh. those games out of Sony's hands. To, oh, I see what you're to saying. To where it'd be worth it because yeah, I love arcane games and everybody knows that, but they don't make money. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They, they don't, don't make good games sellers. either. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to uh, our uh, fourth and final uh, hit point item before we get to the checkpoint chat. Uh, this one's another interesting one. Rumors. Gotta love them. According to industry leaker Tom Henderson, sources uh, have confirmed to him that a sequel to 2020's cult hit Immortals Phoenix Rising is actually in development. And he also revealed that multiple sources have confirmed a new 2D side-scrolling Prince of Persia sequel that's heavily inspired by its own lineage and the Ori series, uh, which is on Xbox, Switch, and I believe PC as well, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong about the last part. Um, Nevertheless, when we factor in these leaks, plus the Splinter Cell announcement, plus the Tom uh, Clancy name removal for X Defiant, uh, and getting Ghost recon frontline the hell out of here is this starting to feel like ubisoft's attempt at repairing their image and can it work no i think this is their attempt of having the perception of them cleaning up their image look okay their okay. issue is for me it's less about their games it's it's a cultural issue it's an issue of business and money over creativity like the issue with x defiant had nothing to do with the Tom Clancy branding. It's the fact that it's another attempt at trying to find their next siege or their version of Overwatch or their version of Fortnite. It's it. And, and look, the promise of the new Splinter Cell is great, but I'm still waiting on the promise of Beyond and Good and Evil too. You know, and while Prince of Persia is obviously rooted in its like 2D legacy, which is great. I, that's that's the first game that I've ever played as a video game was the first Prince of Persia from the 80s. Uh, I'm not sure I heard many people clamoring for something like this. I mean, I you know, and the same goes for Phoenix Rising. I thought that first game was really cool, and it was a breath of fresh air within the Ubisoft open world formula. It didn't do anything to move the needle. In fact, it's a very forgettable experience to the point where like they announced part two, and I'm like, oh shit, I remember that. Yeah, game. I it just came I out remember that I actually Africa. bought it, but I forgot I even had it. Genuinely. Yeah, so it's like, for me, it comes across as more of them saying the right things than not actually addressing any of the issues in any significant way. Like, we're still... Ge- and, and this is good because it's going to bleed over to our checkpoint chat. I, I, we're still getting a life service Assassin's Creed game. Skull and Bones is life service. 
uh, that Rollerblade game is is a live service. That Ghost Recon Frontline that has been paused that was a live service. The Affirmation X Defiant is last Rocksmith Plus is a fucking live service <laughs> game. Like uh, it, not to mention the the Division and whatever Heartland's going to become. Apparently, it's going to be more of, uh, of like a part three or like a spinoff more than just like a DLC. Like all this stuff, they're saying all these things, but the shit that we want to see Beyond Good and Evil Splinter Cell. It took them took them decades to, to, to announce a new Splinter Cell, but they've put them on everything that's not, you know, Splinter Cell. And then, you know, with the Beyond Good and Evil 2, that, that's vaporware. Like, mm-hmm. U- Ubisoft has a cultural issue and has nothing to do with their IP because when you look at their IP, they have great IP. They're just misusing them in just every fucking facet. The, the, the Prince of Persia remake, where's that at? You know, they, they, that looked like complete trash and now they're... You know, yeah. basically making that like an actual remake, right? By not just calling it a remake without remaking it. So, I, I think Ubisoft has a very, very, very long way to go before they 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 patch anything up. And mm. honestly, I don't, I don't, and none of this excites me to the point where I'm like, Ubisoft is on their way because I, I honestly, you know, they they they've done everything possible to pretty much. Say fuck you to the to the fans of their IP and just about it. Like you love Assassin's Creed, all right? How about it's a live service game now? Like who? Mm-hmm. What? What is that? Like it's it, it's insane to me. Um, and I think ultimately for them, uh, they have a real cultural issue, and and it'll start from the top. I think once is Guillaume on is uh it gets the fuck out of there regardless of how how much this is his fault. It just you need to kind of you need to hit the reset button and it got to start from the top. Okay. I mean, I feel that. I mean, I, I, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not the Ubisoft guy. I don't, I don't really, yeah. I don't really cape for them too much at all. Um, but I am going to shoot a slight little bit of bail here. I think these, these measures, if true, are nice. They're nice from a PR standpoint. Um, I think, you know, look, I don't want to single out Ubisoft in, in saying this, so I'll just say that no no company in the video game industry is doing everything with a hundred percent earnesty. Everything is a business strategy. Oh so, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, even even the act of winning back fans, uh, which is kind of what the theme of this question was, is not always done in earnest. We just want to win fans back and and get them to love us again. That, that's really not the kind of thing you're going to hear in any kind of business meeting. It's always going to be like. You know, hey, our numbers are down. Blah blah blah. What what can we do to kind of restore? You know, and they'll they'll find some buzzword, um, drive user, uh, you know, retention. Blah blah blah. Whatever those things are. Um, and so I think that's that is absolutely what is playing a part in in these alleged um, new games here. I think it could help. I think what has to happen for this to end up being a good strategy is that a couple of these games are going to have to actually be good. And I think that's where it becomes a problem for Ubisoft because it's great that you're going to make another Immortals. It's not going to be so great if it's just going to be another open world Ubisoft game, right? Like we don't necessarily. Well, even if it's just it's redundant. Slightly better than Phoenix Rising. Yeah. Yeah. So it's great you're bringing Prince Prince of Persia back, but 2D side scrolling. I mean, you haven't done that since Rayman, and obviously you're not really interested in doing that again um, because it's not you know a, a, a big and banger. And they did it with you know? the Assassin's Creed games that weren't very good. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it all comes back to quality at the end of the day. Yeah, Splinter Cell, love it. <laughs> One of my favorite franchises ever, guys, but make it good. And then I'll 
give you, you know, the full bail uh, to get you out of, uh, you know, out of this. But you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's going to come down to. So, you know, they can say all the right things and announce all the right games. But in the end, these games have to be good without being Ubisoft obnoxious, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. And so will it work? It is a time will tell kind of thing, obviously. Um, I think the real key here is going to be what they do with Assassin's Creed, to your point. Uh, if they really stay committed to that live service premise, or if they don't. Um, we'll see how it goes, but I, I, me, I don't think it's going to change. To me, a lot, a lot of what they've said is coming is because they're trying to kind of be like, all right, we have Assassin's Creed. Uh, whatever it was, what was it called? Universe or something? Or, infinite or uh, Infinity or infinite, something? Infinite, yeah. It's uh, Infinite coming. But guys, we also have these games you love and these franchises you love because they know. Oh, to kind of soften the blow? Of... To soften the blow. Because okay. look, they, they know they're going to lose a lot of Assassin's Creed fans. They don't give a fuck. Mm. They're, they're not there for them. They're there for the people who are going to spend money on these live service games. They're going to put 200, 300 hours into these worlds and kind of get lost in them. Yeah. You know, they, they only need half of that kind of fan base to really make their money here so i think a lot of these announcements and I, and, and i and i that's why that's why i always kind of thinking about that splinter cell announcement where i'm like i don't trust them i, I don't I, they did that with beyond good and evil people want to be on good and evil too and they did it and it's it's be it's become nothing like i i don't trust them i think they're using this kind of like uh as a like just like to soften the blow of these certain mm. announcements and and i i think that in the long run if if beyond good and evil 2 and splinter cell don't come out uh, or they do come out and they're bad. I think that's that's it for Ubisoft. I, I don't think I think they've underestimated. I think they underestimated the fan base of those particular games. I really do. I, I think that Splinter Cell is 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 a game that people really really love. And if you drop that game and it is nothing less than exceptional, mm-hmm. there's going to be problems. Yeah. Well, we will see how that all pans out for Ubisoft. But in the meantime. Hey, it's uh, the ball's in their court to uh, to maybe turn the ship around a little bit. We'll see, though. Um, but that is going to do it for our Hit Points segment. So let's go ahead and get into the main event of the show, which is the Checkpoint Chat. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right. So are live service games a living hell? <laughs> I think this is a, this is a question or a topic that I think has has gained a lot of traction and it's a pretty hot button issue uh, or concern uh, in in the world of gaming with how the modern gaming landscape is and we wanted to go ahead and unpack it and sort of share our thoughts and and, and history and taste for live service games what we think the problems are what the positives are and kind of what we think the future holds for live service games in the industry. So, um, you know, me and Pablo are going to kind of go through uh, and, and talk to that, uh, talk about that here. And I think the best place to start is, is to sort of give a quick and brief history of, of our general history and taste for live service games. So, Pablo, let me pose that question to you and, and kind of tell us where you're at with, with live service games uh, as, as far as your history and, and kind of present day perspective goes. Yeah, I don't really have a lot of history with with uh, live service games. Um, I think the only live service game that I that I've kind of put any time into, um, I'm trying even struggling to to kind of even think of an example of a. I, I guess Overwatch is a live service game. Yeah, 
No? Yeah, Seasons. Yeah, it's I got get, seasonal content. Seasons, yeah. That yeah. is a live service. I get, that was so early on. So, yeah, Overwatch for sure. Overwatch yeah. is definitely a game that I, I, you know, was really into and really into. I mean, you you've know, dabbled in, like, the destinies of the world, obviously. But. Yeah, but, you know, I, I never... I, I played Destiny 1 and 2 straight through a story, but I never really messed mm-hmm. with the, the live service-ness of it. You know, I played the vanilla version of those games, never gone back and, and, and really done too much more than, than what the main story has asked of me to do in both those mm-hmm. games i played the uh the iron what's it called the iron Oof. basically their multiplayer portion of the destiny games i couldn't tell um, you. it's been a while <laughs> yeah uh, iron banner i think it's it's called uh, uh, and, yeah, and, yeah 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 and, and yeah, yeah and that's fun you know i played that but i've never really stuck around i never really put money into it when a new season comes out i've never played uh, uh, a destiny dlc like uh, you know those huge expansions i've never dabbled in that i, I think rainbow all. six siege was probably another one that you could probably throw on your list yeah and, and, and I, you can see where where my kind yeah. of like what i like when it comes to live service games which is pvp yeah uh that that i do like so in that way i'm really much uh, about those kinds of live service games apex I don't, yeah right apex all those you know i am not a fan of the uh of the kind of hybrid Marvel Avengers type where they have this, this okay. story, but also, all right, in order for you to progress through the story, uh, how about you fucking do a whole <laughs> bunch of live service shit, you know? And, and it's weird because there, there's certain storylines in, in even Elden Ring where you have to evade three, invade three people. And, and, and I'm, and I'm trying to do every storyline that I possibly can. I will not do those, you know, and I'm missing out on some, on, on some gear, I guess, if you do that, but it, it's just stuff like that, that I really, I, I, when it comes to story-based games, I do not want any live service shit in that. And, and I'm, and I, okay. and maybe that's, maybe that's just fucking old man video game Pablo <laughs> that that's talking. And that's just kind of where I'm always going to be. I think All right. um, there's no game that's ever done it. I, I know Anthem's tried to, and it just, and, and destiny's tried it. And it's never been interesting for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, my live service experience, uh, I, I probably have a little bit more under my belt than you. Um, you know, the games that we mentioned, obviously, uh, Overwatch, Rainbow Six, um, you know, dabbled in some battle royales, obviously, Fortnite, Apex, Warzone, had my fill of those, Siege, played a lot of Siege. Uh, I would throw some Destiny in there. I was I was, I was, was pretty, you know, into Destiny 2 for a, for a little while back when it first came out, but I didn't really play it like it was a live service game. I kind of played it for the campaign, and I stuck around a little bit to see what some of the more end game stuff was like there, but I didn't really stick with it. Um, Warframe, a free-to-play game um, that's been around for a while now. Um, probably my favorite live service game, um, hands down, just a really, really fun game. Um, really cool looking space ninja type of experience that I, I, I played a lot of and has been really well supported over the years with, uh, incredible free expansions and content. Um, and I think that it's one of the, the best examples of a, of a well-made, uh, free to play at that, um, live service experience. But, um, Generally speaking, my my taste for them is not very, and I don't have a big palette for them. I think that if I'm interested enough, I will definitely try it out. Um, but I don't really come to a live live service game to get a live service experience. I kind of come to get whatever I want out of that experience, and then I dip when I'm ready to dip. So recent example would be Gran Turismo Seven. They call it a live service game at Polyphony. You know, they they talked about it in their apology letter, which we didn't cover, but they will. We'll, they backdoored that shit. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but you know, 
um, I don't. I did not come to GT7 because I'm like, you know what? I could really go for a live service racing game. I just wanted to play racing games, you know. And I I found one that was good. Um, so my my perspective of them are different because I'm not looking for the constant feed, the the constant drip of of seasonal content and new this and new that like a Fortnite. Because I'm moving on to other games on a pretty frequent basis, and 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 you obviously are very similar uh, in that way too. So, um, but I always keep an eye out for them because of how much of uh, impact they've made, good or bad, uh, in, in the video yeah. game industry. And we'll talk about that uh, in a second here. Um, but let's get let's let's just kind of start unpacking the bad here, because I think there's a lot of things, a lot of key concerns, key problems that people have with live service games uh, just innately and in, in how we've seen them uh, utilized uh, since they've kind of become a part of gaming. So kicking it over to you first, Pablo, what, in your opinion, are the key problems with live service games right now? You know, it's funny because I, I think one of the issues with, one of the big issues I have with live service games has to do with the games, but also with the Ubisofts of the world, where they're taking known entities like Assassin's Creed and making them a live service game, which we literally just talked about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and one of the things that I kind of always think about is that one quote that's been attributed to Miyamoto that apparently he's never said, which is, um, which is like a delayed game what is the delayed game is eventually good, but a rush game is forever bad. Oh, you yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, but how about an impartial game or an incomplete game? Because I feel that a lot of these uh, these these uh, live service games are almost always come out incomplete because yep. th- in order to make a live service game profitable and, and interest people is by releasing new content consistently. And so by stripping... A game I'm of, right with of, of, of of these things, mm-hmm. and then slowly dripping them out towards you. It, it, it I never played DLC, but when I play a Destiny game or or any of these games, apparently the story's not complete. Like you have to keep playing all this shit in order to really mm-hmm. get all of it. And I can't stand that shit. I'm not gonna. I don't want to play this game that I could have played in 30 hours over three <laughs> years. That's not, that's crazy. That's so inefficient. That's insanity. Yeah. And, and so I, I that that's my main gripe with with live service yeah. games. It's just it's the nature of the beast. I'm right with you. First of all, yeah, you you you're you're on fire right now because it it starts with the whole work in progress feel of these games. They just don't feel done. It feels like you buy these games and you get started with them. And it's like immediately, hey, pardon our dust. We're still developing, blah, blah, blah. And I just think that trickles down so much into everything else. And and you, you touched on it too, like the road mapping. There's so many of these live service games that come out in Halo Infinite. I hate to bring them up as, as a bad example, but they are a bad example. Um, you come out as a live service and you don't have a plan. You don't have a, a, a good progression system that works. You don't have a good roadmap of, of, of feeding people with, with good content, compelling content to keep people coming back uh, and, and keeping your game in their rotation because you just kind of felt like repurposing your franchise into a live service game and didn't know how to really do that and execute that properly. Um, I think that leads into... One of the reasons why a lot of these live service games kind of never blow up is because 
they're coming out with concepts that are not interesting or that are very transparently microtransaction hungry. And I think that's the other key problem. These games feel very manipulative and, and money hungry and almost deceitful. Um, and like they're built in a way to exploit you and create FOMO to get you to spend yep. money on things that maybe you won't even care about, but the game just sort of forces you in the direction of buy more things. And I think that has created a really problematic stigma for live service games because I'm going to kind of tip my hand a little bit now and say, I don't think live service games as a concept are bad. I think that the issue is with how they're executed, how they are carried out in such a weirdly deceitful, money-grabbing, scuzzy sort of fashion that it's it's almost transparently obvious that that's what they're trying to do at the end of the day, sort of milk money from you little by little by little. So what where are you at with like the microtransactional uh, hang-ups about this stuff? Yeah, I, I, I think it's scummy. I, I think that... Uh, Companies create, you know, one of the things I said is 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 about Ubisoft is about money over creativity, and mm-hmm. it's not I'm going to create something because I I feel artistic and I want to create. It's how can we create something with the basis of making more money? And when that form of creation comes into play, it stops being interesting to me. I, I can you can see. The, 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 you can see kind of the lines where they did this to make money. Right. They right. made this this choice to make money, and it, that that concept stops being, uh, uh, in terms of creativity, it stops being interesting to me almost immediately when I see exactly what they're trying to do. And it's scummy because, you know, they're they're asking here for six. A lot of these games are asking for sixty, seventy dollars now entry fee, and right. then they're asking you to pay thirty four ninety nine for a new DLC. Yep. And, Two to three times, or spend one hundred and twenty dollars, one hundred and sixty dollars on a special edition that has all this stuff. But you're now you're pay, now you're front loading. You're paying all this money for shit that's going to come out three years from now. You know that you don't so even know if you're going to like when it actually yeah, drops. Or, <laughs> exactly, or 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 you don't even know if 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 you're, you're even going to like the, the exactly the, the initial game right. itself. Like yeah. it, it's it, it's 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 crazy. It's a big ask, and and nobody. It, some companies have have tried, I guess, to do it up. Uh, do not do not to be so aggressive with it, but it's it's all the major ones are 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 vying for pole position. They want to be number one in, in in that aspect, and and the way they do that is by coming up with the best idea that's going to net you the most amount of dollars. Yeah, and that's that sucks. And I get it. You know, if there's an opportunity to make a money printing machine out of a live service game, and you have all the tools and all the parts needed in front of you, you just have to assemble it right. If I had that opportunity to, to, to build my own money printer here at home, I would do that, right? Because, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. free money forever. So I get why they want to do it from a business standpoint. I think the problem is that no one has really ever fully cracked the code in terms of making it feel, I don't want to say like earnest, because in the end, yeah. every game wants your money. You know, you're, the, the, the whole right. business is built around the consumer spending money. So I can't necessarily fault them for wanting money, but to not make it feel so, I guess, paywalled is the thing. Like, going back to Assassin's Creed, I know we're kind of bullying that, that franchise right now, but paying to be at a certain level in the game to be able to, you know, continue the story of that game, like things like that are totally unnecessary and are done intentionally to sort of make you almost feel like you have no choice. 
You're either going to grind this game and suffer with every little collectathon side missiony goop that we throw on this map, or yeah, you could spend a couple bucks and bypass all that and yeah. get back to the good stuff. Like that kind of thing. Um, the pricing issues we've seen with a lot of games, like just coming out of the gate with a lot of like insanely priced cosmetics and stuff like that. It's it's just so blatantly um, abusive to 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 the gamers you know that are out there that actually might like your game and might want to support it, but they're like, oh my god, I can only spend so much money on this thing. I want to buy other stuff. That's right. But it, it's it is a real problem, I think, in my opinion, and it's again contributed to that negative stigma uh, that live service games kind of have right now. So, um, leading into the next question, though, that I have for you. Um, with these kind of problems in mind, I'm going to ask a very, maybe it's a bold question, but are there any positives about live service games in your opinion? Yeah, I, I think when it comes to positive takes, I, I think you have to applaud the, the games that are doing it best. And I think, you know, ultimately, I think a lot of them are, like you said, want your money. So they all have some kind of scummy kind of thing behind it, overpriced skin, whatnot. But I think innovation coming from the fact, hey, we've got to make this as interesting as possible in order to maintain people in our service the, in order to make money. That's how you get really interesting things like with Overwatch, with the new characters and, and, and kind of changing the meta in order to keep the game fresh with Siege and Apex and, and Fortnite and, and Warzone. I, those, those are all, like again, PvP type games. And I, I would say that all the positivity for me comes from that specifically where it just feels mm. like they, they, they're there to make money, but they're there to also make the game interesting. And I think that they are going out of their way in a lot of times to do that. Like Overwatch, uh, with all the problems that they're having internally, culturally, you know, for a long time there, they were they were changing metas of entire characters. Like entire characters who were once defenders were becoming, you know, attackers or 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 different things of that sort. Right. And they're doing that with two is coming out now. So they're keeping it interesting to keep you interested in order for you to keep spending money. And look, they got some of my money. You know, I'm not gonna lie. Oh, yeah. Probably the most money I've ever spent was on Overwatch. And it's it's because it was interesting and it was good and it was fun to play and I wanted those cosmetics because I was I felt a particular way towards Diva or Hans or whatever the case may be or McCree or how, whatever they, they change his name now but like it's just one of those things where it, it, it kept me invested and yes they got me sure hook and singer but I don't yeah, know if they got the, you I think it's more of a it was more organic that time around you were yeah, compelled sure. because yeah. the quality of the game and the support you were seeing compelled yeah, you to do exactly. it so I don't think it was yeah. a gotcha anything any kind no, of no 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 I, I never felt like I, I honestly I never felt like I wanted a specific skin and I got it and I was happy with it I never yeah, felt yeah. like ugh this skin debuffed me you know I, <laughs> I do less damage it's nothing, nothing like yeah, that you yeah. know there was no pay to win you know which is which is which luckily a lot of these games aren't doing um, but you know it I, I don't think it's all bad you know uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know how motivated they would be to keep uh, overwatch uh, siege uh, fortnite or or apex keep it as fresh if it was just a one-time pay and go you know uh, like you know it would be like it would have to be like call of duty there for a long time where they have to release a new a new version every year because mm-hmm. people are bored you know the, the fact that it's a living game it's right there it's a live service but it's also a living game and it's constantly changing you know I don't really play a lot of Fortnite but the shit they do with with the maps changing and the stories and all that stuff all that stuff is there obviously 
to, to, to make money, but it's also there to keep you engaged. It works. And Fortnite fans are there forever. So it works. they just released a no build mode right now, which apparently is sticking around, which people have been clamoring that forever. And they were really smart about, you know, kind of keeping that close to the chest and they finally out. And so, you know, th- that kind of stuff, it, it works. It, it I don't think life service as a genre, whatever you want to call it, is broken. You know, I, I don't think it's it's bullshit. Uh, you know, I, I think it, it works. I think, unfortunately, there, there, there are bad actors in, in this industry that just want to fuck you up and, and just really want all your money mm-hmm. and they want to pretend that they are as good or as innovative as an Overwatch and they're not. They're, they're just yeah. there to, to, to take money from you. Yeah, I mean, we're not too far apart here. I think, to me, the biggest positive about live service games is the potential for longevity. When, when you love a really good game, you want to love it for a long time. And it, nothing yeah. is better than finding a game that you're really, really clicking with and then realizing, oh, this game's actually going to be around for a while because they're constantly supporting it with new content, new things to see, changes, updates, refinements to meta or XYZ. That's a really exciting thing when it's done well. Like, yep. you know, one of the things that really got me excited about Halo Infinite in the beginning was because I was like, oh, this base game, the core gameplay here is so good. I want to play this game for a long time. I don't want it to be one of those games that just survives for a year, like Call of Duty does. Like, you know, it's only the shelf right. life is a year. You got a year's time to get your fix of, of that particular game. And if, if it's one of your favorite Call of Duties ever, sorry about your luck because another one's coming out next year. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, screw yeah. you. This is one of those examples where, okay, I actually get to kind of stay here and just sit with this game and, and, play it as it grows and evolves and gets bigger and better and has more content and stuff that I am compelled to go and explore, see and do, or even buy, um, you know, of my own volition and not feel like I'm forced to do anything. So the, the potential for the, the longevity is a really, really promising prospect out of all this um, because, it, you know, it, it keeps the Call of Duty syndrome at a minimum. Uh, which thereby kind of reduces the redundancy. You know, like there's been rumors, like for instance, of the next Forza Motorsport potentially being a live service game, and it will be kind of like the the last one for a while because they're just going to support that for the rest of the generation, stuff like that. Like I think that stuff makes perfect sense. Just build on what you already have instead of. I've even hoped that sports games do something like this. At I some was point. legitimately about to interrupt you with that. I was like, and, and I think it's kind of scummy of sports games to release every year. Yeah, here's like, here's a I, roster update. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like here, here you go. Live service would really work for it. yeah, sure. Maybe three, maybe maybe two or three years later, you release a a a a new version because of the graphics updates and all that stuff. But you know, I'm super excited for um for the show, which is a game I play every year and I play many many hours of it. Um, you know, I from the most for the things that I've seen, it's mostly just a roster update, which I'm fine with, but. Luckily, it's on Game Pass. Which, by the way, did you see? It kind of offshoot here. Did you see that Game Pass now offers you a a Game Pass pass for <laughs> early access games? It's like a pass. I did you, not. No. Thirty four ninety nine. You pay, the pass and then pass? you can get early. It's a pass pass. It's like a multi. Thirty four ninety nine, and then you play, and then you uh, can any early access game you can play. And I'm not doing it. No, I might do it. He's doing it. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think yeah. I mean, just the sports game thing is just a. It's a, such an obvious example. So you know, to to get to the summary of this, I think being able to avoid those types of redundant games that come out with just little incremental changes, whether it's a sports game, racing game, whatever it is, 
um, to get an experience that you can actually stick with. I think that's part of the reason why Warzone is so fire because like, yeah, it's a, it's a Royale game and that's its own, you know, that, that attracts its own crowd in and of itself, but people can kind of just stick with it and don't have to run to the next game that comes out that might have a terrible multiplayer for Call of Duty. They can stick with what they know they already like and, and just enjoy that experience. And I think that's really, really important because a lot of gamers aren't like me and you. We don't, they don't run to the next new thing. They'll, they'll, they'll play the same it's game true. night after night after night for a year. Like my, my boy, friend of the show, Will, plays Final Fantasy fourteen religiously. And he'll play a new game once in a while. He'll play the new Final Fantasy Origin game or whatever. But like he'll stick to what he's, he, he likes. And it's just, it is what it is. By the way, that's another good example of a live service game. Yeah, I guess that's well. kind of an accidental, yeah. But yeah, speaking of which, yeah. 14, I mean, I know it had a really bad uh, launch, but since then, I mean... It's people it's big are cl- now. claiming it to be the best RPG pound for pound story, you know, at least in the last two expansions that have come out. Yeah, so I mean, I can't claim dope. to know thing number one about it. I mean, I tried the PS5 version for like all of 15 minutes and it's too MMO for me personally. But yeah, oh yeah, yeah but sure you know, I, but hey, look. Hey, it worked. It worked. It for works Square. for who it works for. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, it's hard to come by. You know, finding a, a, a success to that degree. But kind of to that point, when you think about all of the live service games that have tried and failed or fumbled and faltered over the years. But you also think about the potential, if you get it right, how how big you can hit it and how much money you can make. Do you think it's more of a smart move, Pablo, or a risky move, business-wise, to develop a live service game? And why? Well, first and foremost, it's a shitty move. But uh, I, I, I don't think... <laughs> I, 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 I don't think that applies to Ubisoft or EA or any huge company because they've shown they'll just throw shit at the wall until something sticks. And that's kind of where I'm coming from where it's risky for companies who are not big at all but are are wanting to hit it big with a live service game. And if their ethos and their whole kind of business plan is behind a live service game, that's a huge risk for them. But, I mean, you have... And I, Ubisoft has become the whipping boy. Uh, uh, hey, beat of him this, up. Uh, of it. But you know they had that. Um, what's that one uh, uh, battle royale game that they, they released? Oh, Hyperscape. <laughs> Hyperscape, which is gone. It's done. You know, it, it's no longer available, and or it's no longer. Ghost Recon online. didn't even get out of the reveal. Yeah, Gates. Uh, Exifying is coming. Like they, they're they're just throwing stuff at, 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 at the wall and shit at the wall to see what sticks. And so to that to that degree, I don't think it's very I don't think it's very risky for them. I think they they it's actually it's cheaper for them to develop these games and then see if it it works. If it doesn't then you know they cut bait on it and then go to the next. Um so I, I think for that I think that just kind of, that that the action of that is ruining for me uh, those companies and their IP more than the actual game itself that they've released. You know what I mean? Okay. okay so I mean, are you saying that this is? Are you basically saying this is? It's not a risky business move for them to to, to yeah. do one. No, and that's the problem that it's not a risky business business move for these big big companies because it's not like they're pouring in like like many, many years of development into these ideas and, and these, like, big, expansive worlds that they're making and putting all the stuff because ultimately what they're trying to do is make these these small games that they can expand out later if they become successful, you know? Mm. So they don't really have to put a lot of effort into this. What they do have to ultimately do is hopefully find something that, that is a success for them to then at that point put more money into shit. So not really. This isn't really a big, uh, a big uh, anything for them. The only way that this becomes... 
uh, a risky business move is the small studio wants to go ahead and, 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 and ride this wave and they put everything into it and then they fail and that that would suck for them. Okay, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if the question is it more smart or more risky, I think it's a, it's a smart move more than a risky move because, again, the ceiling goes way up for revenue if you can get it right. There's obviously a risk with making a live service game, but the thing is, is a risk of making any video game. Any game, yeah. So I think, you know, to me, if you have the team, if you have the manpower, and if you have the right vision, that's the key thing. Because you, you can make a live service model, but is the game that you're putting it in worth playing? Is it interesting enough to people? Is it unique? Then I think yeah. you've got something that could be a very smart move. If you have the means, if you have the financial um, you know, stability yep. and the manpower to do it, do it. Because, you know, it... It, we'll get into sort of what the future looks like for for live service games and, and right, some right. of the stigma stuff that I touched on. But I think there's a way, there is such a thing as making a, a really good, organically growing, but non-gougy, manipulative live service game. And if as long as you're coming at it with, you know, again, the right resources and the right intentions and the right visions... Uh, for the game, you might as well give it a shot if, if you're if you're a, a company like a Microsoft or Sony or whoever. Um, again, tread carefully, but I think it is worth exploring for sure. So, um, when we talk about the future of live service games, I'm going to kind of kick this one off if you don't mind. Um, yeah, go for it. The future of live service games, to me, I think is where a lot of of gamer fear comes from right now. I feel like there's a big concern. I'm not saying this is you specifically, but maybe to a degree, who knows. But I think the fear with live service games is that they're going to take over. And that every, you know, gaming as we know it is going to undergo a drastic change where most experiences are going to be predominantly live service focused or that will slowly but surely start to see our favorite franchises go from being traditional single-player or multiplayer games uh, and turning into live service games um, as like the, the big worst-case scenario that I think is, is sort of looming over the topic of live service games. Because we've seen it. I mean, Halo, again, not a live service game up until now, and now all of a sudden it's a new game with a 10-year plan. You know, So it's like, okay, yep. here's... All right, that was Halo changing. What does this mean for Gears? What does this mean for the Perfect Dark reboot? What does this mean for Sony? They're they're starting to dabble now. Um, so I I think some of those fears are valid. I think some of those fears are misplaced. I don't see a future personally where live service games are going to be the inmates that run the proverbial asylum of the video game catalog available. I think we'll still have. Plenty of single-player experiences that won't go anywhere. And Elden Ring is a recent but but firm example of living proof that all you got to be is a great single-player game, and you can sell 12 mil in the first few weeks. Yeah. So oh, yeah. you don't have to be live service to make those kind of numbers. So I, I think there will always be good, big, cinematic, AAA single-player experiences. I think there'll be traditional multiplayer PvP experiences that aren't necessarily trying to be live service. 
And I think there will be live service games. I, I see live service games as more of an expansion to the video game catalog out there than something that's going to usurp anything, if that makes sense. So um, that's kind of the future that I see for it. I think there will always be hits and misses and some games will bomb and some games will, you know, take heat for being too you know, price gougy and, and, and kind of scummy. I think that will be a part of the, the problem for a, a while, but I don't think the future is as bleak for gaming as some people make it out to be when it comes to where live service games will fit in the future of gaming. So that's sort of my perspective. I wanted to kind of kick it off with, with that first, but I want to turn it over to you. In your opinion, what does the future look like for live service games? Yeah, I, I, I disagree with you in, to, in, in, in certain ways. I don't think it's going to be a bleak future of all live service games and we'll never have a single player experience ever again. I think that's insane and that's never going to happen. However, I do think there's going to be less ex- single player experiences because there are certain companies, even now, uh, Platinum Games, for example, a, 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 a development team known to make incredible single-player experiences over-the-top action uh, type of games, are now going to refocus their efforts on making live service games, which is kind of crazy to me. Uh, when you got Warner Brothers or Warner Bros. games where they've made Batman games, they, they've made uh, over the, they have an overarching amount of these kind of IP that are going to refocus those IP into making live service games they've claimed. And you have Sony ramping up 10 studios, I mean, 10 uh, live service games that are coming uh, out, and they're buying studios. They bought Bungie to, to kind of and Haven. make more live service. Huh? And Haven, too. And, and Haven, yeah, to make live service games. I don't think, I think, I think you're being an alarmist if you're going to say that single-player games are going away. They've made that claim. Every time a, a big uh, multiplayer game comes out, it's both. That's not happening. You know, there's there is there is plenty of room to make single player games. However, I do feel that there could be a future where we're seeing less of those experiences or being f- fewer and far between because of the fact that those companies that make these games are refocusing some efforts on a ten year plan on a on a bayonetta life service games, you know, okay. or, or something of that sort. Let, let me like, let me that's let kind, me. That's kind of where I'm coming from. Let me jump in real quick because I want to get your your kind of your your percentage breakdown if you had to say single player game out of a hundred games in the future yeah what percentage are going to be single player what percentage would you say are going to be like regular single player multiplayer kind of you know just normal multiplayer and how many do you think will be live service games if you had to kind of break it down out of a hundred percent i uh 60 40 on the on the on the single player side okay perhaps um, the thing is, is a lot of these single player games might have a live service component attached to it. Like, um, supposedly, uh, 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 oh my God, uh, uh, The Last of Us Two uh, is going to have with 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 frac- uh, uh, factions, uh, something of that sort. So that may be a little skewed there, uh, but I, I I think that what we're going to start seeing is, and and I'll and I'll and I'll speak on the Sony side, is. Sony kind of refocusing their efforts on making more live service games than single player games doesn't mean that we're not going to get uh, a God of War or uh, um, Uncharted type. But I think it'll be longer before we see the next Uncharted series, the next uh, God of War game or or a new IP or, or less or less time for them to greenlight a new IP from Bend or any other studios that make great games because they want 
a live service component or just want a live service game. I, that's kind of where, where, where I'm at. Where I The success of live service games is such that everybody wants to not miss out on that. That makes sense. From a business standpoint, I get it. But it is concerning to me. Uh, ultimately, the, the future of this is going to be a lot of shitty live service games and not so many great other single-player games because they're going to be few and far between. That's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I mean... It- I, I, and I would also add, and, and I know I'm going to probably take some shots for this, but I, I want to say I don't think the quantity of live service games, even if they do ramp up, I don't think that should really worry a lot of people because live service games is it can be different types of genres. And so there's not going to be, like if Sony does do a, a handful of live service games, it doesn't mean they're all going to be the same like first-person shooter kind of Destiny-like experiences. Obviously, right. there's going to be the Gran Turismos of the world, and um, maybe they'll do like a SOCOM kind of revival and do something around that. Who knows? But I don't think it's it's cause for concern to me because there's there's plenty of diversity um, that, that can be tapped into to make these games far enough apart and unique to each other um, to make it interesting. The other thing I would say is, is another thing to consider is just because peop- these, these studios can make a live service game doesn't mean they can support it properly. It goes back to what we said earlier. True. You have to have a, almost an entire dedicated team to do that. So it, it's to your point, you have to sort of be a juggernaut to be able to sustain a live service game. So I see a lot of them maybe trying their hand and failing, but maybe not trying again once they bomb. Yeah. So, But he, my question to you would be like, I think again, and I think it, it just it, it's uh, it was just it makes sense to end it here or end it with with this or this part of it is look at Ubisoft. What does Ubisoft have in the way of a single player experience coming anytime soon? That is that is of that is of of like as as awesome as an Assassin's Creed two or three or or a Splinter Cell. Like they just announced Splinter Cell. Like they don't have anything down the pike. Like everything that they have in their repertoire from the last like five years and, and going forward for the next five years seems to be a live service esque game. So that, that that's just one example of a really bad, terrible company that sure. it, it's all about your money. And I don't think in any way that Sony like Santa Monica Studios and Insomniac, I don't think that you could compare them to Ubisoft in that way. I think they're they're they're, they're really good studios and you know they're they're all about their single player games. But you know th- that's kind of where I'm hinging my examples off of the already the existing uh, juggernauts that are are out right now that are unfortunately focusing on that live service game and kind of abandoning uh, the 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 the. That, that 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 single player experience. I mean, Call of Duty had a Call of Duty game with no with no single player uh, campaign. So I mean, it, it, it just it, it for me, I think it's a cause for concern. I don't think that it's a bleak future where there's never going to be another single player game, or we're going to get God of War Infinite or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but I think there are examples out there that would show that there could be a future where where you know the next God of War is like. 10 years away because Santa Monica Studios is working on a live a service game or something like that. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm not, that'd be crazy, but again, Platinum Games. That's crazy, <laughs> well, Platinum you know? is a unique example because they've, yeah, for sure. They've for been sure. whoring themselves out forever and you know, they've been very inconsistent. They, they, they really have. They really have. Yeah. But I mean, like, to get to that point where it's like, I'm going to make a live service game. And that's the point. Like, there's money to be made in that, in that, in that genre. So, yeah. Like if if you are a studio who does great work, but unfortunately never get to make all the monies, <laughs> and that's there for yeah. you. That's kind of you know, you know. We'll see. Last question I have for you: 
Is our podcast technically a live service? <laughs> Would you say so? I think we you know, we got we, got we our, don't make no money, so hell no. We provide, you know, new content weekly. It's a, it's a great proposition and guess what? We don't ask anything for people. We just want you to subscribe. Well, fuck that. Starting next week, 34.99 per episode. <laughs> you get cosmetics of of, of Pablo's face on, on on all your shirts and socks. It'd be weird to see Pablo on a sock. That'd be kind of strange. Um, nevertheless, that is going to wrap up this week's live service show. Uh, until next time, be sure to give our podcast a very free subscription if you enjoyed this. Um, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at CooldownTimePodcast or Twitter at CooldownTimePod so that we'll always be in your FOV. You're welcome, and we'll see you next week. Make me feel good.